Praise God that in the name of Jesus there's victory. Amen. Now let's just you just get fired up about that, that the resurrected king can resurrect anybody. And I was just thinking about that phrase the entire song and just thinking about how 10 years ago he took a pornography addict, a uh, sex addict, an uh, uh, alcoholic, uh, a, a narcissistic liar, cheater, you name it. And he resurrected my dead heart to experience truth, the truth that actually set me free. And so, man, I just... Wherever you are tonight, man, that's my story. I know that's kind of maybe uh, different. You coming in this place for the first time, someone actually coming up and perfect. Y'all actually talk about that stuff in church? Yeah, we talk about it here. And so, man, if it's your first time, we're glad that you're here. My name is Josiah. I'm the Young Adults Pastor. And hopefully you received a worship program. Uh, when you walked in, we'd love to connect with you after the service. I got a gift for you. And just get to know your story as you get to know ours. Well, hey, um, on Saturday... Saturday morning, um, uh, I want to just kind of share what God has been doing in my life over the last few days. Uh, Saturday morning, I listened to a message by a guy named Tommy Nelson. And as I was listening to this message, it, it began to um, arrest my heart. You know, when you, when you listen to someone that's compelling and, and, and begins to drive uh, you to a place of, of utter dependency, maybe on God or whatever that might be, uh, man, it, it began to do that in my heart. And, and let me just kind of give you some context for this guy named Tommy. Um, four years ago, I was a student pastor down in Texas, and I heard about this program called Young Guns. And I was like, man, I want to be a part of Young Guns. I'm, like, I'm kind of a young gun, you know, like who doesn't want to be a young gun, right? And so I was like, man, I'm going to look into being a young gun. I want to be a young gun. And so Young Guns is a year-long discipleship program that you commit to. And, and, and Tommy was leading uh, Young Guns, and you basically uh, commit a whole year uh, to knowing your Bible and, and just getting discipled and trained and equipped. And, and I went a whole year and sat underneath his leadership. And so Tommy is a guy that has poured into me, and, 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 and the reason why we have Paradigm today, it's because of guys like Tommy, who has taken time to invest in a young punk like myself before Christ, right? And he, and he, and he uh, drove me to a place of understanding the word like I never understood it before. And so I began watching this message by Tommy Nelson, and about midway through the message, I just started weeping. And about as the message was wrapping up, I started weeping even more. And my wife, Kathy, uh, actually was sleeping. She was, this was early in the morning, so I was uh, hanging out with my daughter, Camille, my new two-week-old daughter. And she was on the couch next to me in a little uh, cradle. And, and, and I was just listening to this message, and I just started weeping. And Kathy comes in, and she said, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? Did somebody die? I'm like, no, nobody died. And she said, well, tell me, tell me, tell me what's going on. I said, I'm just broken. I'm broken for our nation. And I'm broken for the church as a whole. And, and, and I know this about myself. When, when, when God begins to break my heart to a place of weeping, I know I have to do something about it. And so we're going to watch a message tonight. But before we watch this message by Tommy, I wrote you a letter. So, like, you're like, man, this is kind of weird. I'm here for the first time. He's talking about the letters, kind of getting sentimental. 
just sit tight. It's not that sentimental. But I wrote you a letter to prep you for tonight's message. I got away for a few hours yesterday, and I just started journaling. So I'm going to invite you into my world, into my journal. Not fully. Okay, that would get a little weird. Uh, guys, I can call it a notebook. I know you're like, why are you calling it a journal? Okay, because I'm trying to relate to the women in the room, okay? <clears throat> my notebook. I'm going to let you into some of my thoughts. But I wrote you a letter. And as I read this letter, I just want you to consider what God might be doing in my heart and as I'm praying and asking God to do the same in your heart. And so this message that we're going to watch tonight has gotten over 60,000 views, I believe, so far or close to it. And in some way, um, some of you feel the same that I do for the sheer fact you don't know what is at stake because no one's ever told you. This isn't something you're going to hear on Fox News, Republicans, or CNN, Democrats, okay? You're not going to hear this stuff in the public square. As your pastor, I have the responsibility to God to shepherd your hearts and inform your mind whether you're a Democrat and will vote for Hillary Clinton or whether you're a Republican and vote for Donald Trump or whether you're third party or you're no party and you won't vote at all. And so whoever you decide to vote for, don't vote for. The question I would like to ask you tonight before I read you my letter is why? Why will you? And as you answer the question why, is it informed by your own emotions? Is it informed by the way you were raised? Or is it informed by scripture? Or is it informed by the culture? I can tell you that I have a long history of family that are Democrats. So I don't want you to think that all I do is lean right because I'm a pastor, right? No. And so I know that the millennials, that's you and I, are called the Generation Y because we question everything. And part of that's a good thing. Because when you question everything, at least you know the why behind what you're doing. And so here's my letter to you. Dear Paradigm, the reason why we're choosing to talk about this message in here is because you're not hearing it, hearing it out there. And in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us as Christians that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We are called to shine the light in dark places, and salt, as you know, is a preservative. In a sense, Jesus is calling us to preserve the culture and our nation from decaying, and the only way you do that is to know the truth. Jesus said, the truth will, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so many people are in bondage to things like depression, poverty, lying, narcissistic, sexuality, and the like, is because this is all they know. I was one of them. Here is what I want you to know on the front end. Some of you will leave tonight, and you will try to make this a political issue when it's not. It's a moral issue, and the Bible has something to say about issues of morality. And if the Bible has something to say about issues of morality, then we should have something to say about morality. Now, I'm not talking about being offensive and polarizing just because you're angry and you want to be offensive and polarizing to people. There's a big difference. No, we should share the truth in love. Although people disagree with us, we should still love them. Uh, three weeks ago, I had some neighbors, I'm going to 
detour from my message. We had some neighbor, neighbors move into the right of us. And those neighbors ended up being two homosexual men. And after I watched this message, just so that I balance this message out and you know my heart concerning this issue, I went down to McLean's Bakery. I don't know if any of y'all been to McLean's down there on Waldo or Brookside. It's one of my favorite spots. You can catch me there on a Friday morning or Saturday morning just buying, you know, six to seven cinnamon rolls, okay? Don't judge me. It's awesome. Best cinnamon rolls in Kansas City. Maybe best cinnamon rolls I've ever had. And I bought a few for my neighbors on my left and my neighbors on my right. And I took those cinnamon rolls to my gay neighbors to show them that I love them and I want to build a bridge to them even though I don't wholeheartedly agree with their lifestyle. So I want you to know that that's my posture in regards to that issue of morality. I also want you to know that I took in a homosexual man for eight months when I lived in Texas. I don't say this to gain any propers or any accolation. I want you to know that this is my heart towards that community. So my challenge for you tonight is that you'd stick out this service to the very end. Oh, you'll be tempted to get up and walk out if you hear something you don't agree with. Whether that's issues of morality, notice I said morality and not politic political. Whether that is issues of morality like abortion, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, pornography, gender-specific bathrooms or gender-neutral bathrooms and things like these. Stick it out even if you disagree. Why? Because we would like to have a respectful, God-honoring conversation with you after the service. Not where we're doing the talking, but where you get to talk. And you get to voice your hang-ups and possible disagreements or agreements with the message. So stick it out. The cowards walk away. And they walk away and post things on social media. And they start airing their disagreements all over. But the man or woman with character stays and talks to seek further understanding. Now what I want you to understand is the fact that I don't agree with everything Tommy says. Heck, you don't agree with everything I say when I stand up here and preach week in and week out. We have created a culture where we can disagree in this place, and that's healthy. The purpose of tonight is not to convince you to become Republican or Democrat, because he leans to the right side, a.k.a. Republican. He does. And I know there are people in this place who lean to the left, Democrat. So the purpose of tonight is to take on the moral issues we see in Scripture and to vote our conscience in a biblical way one week from today. Then it's to seek further understanding for whoever you are and whatever you might believe. I promise you that we won't humiliate you, downgrade you, or call you out because you disagree with anything that's been said up here. I know we're watching a video, and that's a little different from having a live speaker, but heck, we're the millennials. We live for videos, right? In all seriousness, fight to eliminate distractions, past experience, and go in with this with an open mind in what you're hearing, especially if you call yourself a Christian. Because if you call yourself a Christian, you're lining your beliefs in light of this book. Ask yourself, is what he's saying, does what he says line up with Scripture? Now, it's different, man. He's old school. He's suit, tie. He's not in slims, Nikes, and the long shirts, right? 
No, he's old school, man. And he's actually kind of writing a letter of his own to his congregation, to his church. If you're not a Christian, then we're glad you're here and we welcome you. We really do. That's why we started Paradigm. We want to hear from you after the service on what you believe and why you believe it. You're welcome to examine the evidence of what Tommy says in this message and what he says regarding God's word. We would gladly be up for dialoguing with you after the service. And lastly, know this. I love you, but true love is not love unless it tells the truth. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you. In all sincerity, Father, I pray that you would um, just give us perspective, inform our hearts. God, help us to be men and women who pursue truth. And I know that looks different for many people in this room. And so, God, we welcome anybody and everybody to be on a journey wherever they are in their faith or they don't have a faith. We love them because you love them. And help us to be uh, people who run after that above all else. God, you have your way tonight. In Christ's name, amen. It is October, and in a couple of weeks, we will have an election, one of the most defining of our future, one of the most controversial elections in American history. It is an election in which evangelical leaders in our country are, you, are divided that have always been nothing but united. I have never spoken on this in 40 years, but we need to get a Christian perspective over what is about to happen in a few weeks. And so let's talk politics and let's talk politics biblically. Is that possible? Yes, it is. One of the leading questions of early Christianity was, how can one be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of Caesar, of Rome? Well, the New Testament answers this repeatedly. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, to God the things that are God. You pay your taxes. Paul said, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. He said to Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves. Amen. <laughs> yes. Peter said, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as to kings or to those sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For the Lord's sake, that we are good citizens, not because we agree with government. We are good citizens because we revere God. Paul said to Timothy, first of all, pray for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. Paul took that verse from Jeremiah chapter 29 where Israel was told how to conduct itself in the Babylonian exile. And God said, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. Joseph influenced Egypt for the good. Daniel influenced Babylon for the good. 
Nehemiah, Mordecai, and Esther influenced Persia for the good. The people of God are to be a blessing to their culture. We are not removed from culture. We are not hostile to culture. So until the government asks us to do what God forbids, that we are the best of citizens. But our influence in this country can be greater. We are historically rare. We can be directly involved. We have an act of the volition. And when that becomes a noun, it is called a vote. We have a say. We have virtually what none have had throughout history. Until 1776, no one had a say in their rule. But from 1776 to 1848, in just 70 years, most monarchies in the world were gone. Because America had started something, France was soon to follow. We were an idea whose time had come, as throughout the world, men had had a gut full of the irresponsible rule of kings, of authority that was bestowed through birth, not authority that was bestowed through character and through life. And in the place of monarchies, there arose what were called constitutions, official obligations and restraints set forth in writing through theologically informed reason, an absolute law outside of man by which he must be ruled and to which rulers were accountable, a constitution, the incarnation of just rule in paper and ink, administered through representative leaders, placed there through an informed majority who voted for those that they believed to be the wisest and the best of men, whose job was to follow this law, or as Mr. Lincoln said, a government of the people, by the people, for the people. A leadership that was bestowed, not through conception, but bestowed through character. Would it work? Well, no one knew. It had never been done before. That is why one called America the grand experiment. A government that wasn't flawless, but it was correctable through elections and persuasion and amendments, rather than through coups and revolts. It was called a representative democracy. People putting people in charge to rule them. And a new vocabulary arose. Politicians, politicking, political parties, candidates, primaries, speeches, debates, voters, and mudslinging, and corruption. The system has problems, but I prefer it to monarchies because we don't have bloodlettings, except for our civil war, where half our country killed the other half over a breach of the Constitution concerning the image of God in man and of inalienable rights. And I am amazed at our Constitution's invention in Philadelphia, 1787, a group of 55 men replaced millennias of kings with a constitution in just 112 days. And it has lasted now for 229 years. And it had never been done before. It is said that as Ben Franklin sat and 
observed on the headrest of George Washington's chair, a carved horizon and a sunrise. And he looked at that chair and he thought, is the sun rising or is it setting? Will this be a new day in history or will this be a grand disaster? No one was quite sure. And that is why only 39 of 55 delegates at Philadelphia signed the Constitution. 16 weren't quite sure that this would work. The best way to govern is through Jesus Christ. Righteousness incarnate. Wisdom incarnate. But until he returns, and he will not be elected incidentally, he will impose his will. Until he returns, a representative democracy is a good way. But two problems present themselves in electing leaders. One is the need of getting elected and staying elected. For this, a, popular, uh, a politician needs what is called popularity. He needs the populace to like him, at least the majority. But wise rulers cannot always be popular. Thus, an elected official feels a tension between leadership and job security, between doing right and preserving a career. And that is why some said that elections would not work as they would devolve into popularity contests. But another problem, just as dangerous, is that the proper elected leaders demand an informed and a wise voting public. A proper standard must be present throughout the culture, assuming a moral standard and a moral consensus. And if not, an ignorant population will get what they deserve. 51% can be just as terrible as a tyrant when they are misinformed and immoral. So potentially, universal voting or universal suffrage is dangerous. And that is why public mandatory education and universal suffrage emerged at the same time in our country as one necessitated the other. It was called the Horace Mann Common School Movement, and it began just after the Constitution. Every young person, every future voter, had to be educated in basic reading and writing, in morals, citizenship, and yes, in Bible, as the only a morally responsible people could select proper leaders. A people are reflected, and a culture is reflected in their elected officials. It is the political system we have been born into, and like it or not, we have the responsibility to be informed and to vote, because the death of a representative democracy is not just the ignorance of the truth, but also apathy. Ah, pathos, don't care. An apathy arising from discouragement that says, I'm just one person, the candidates are flawed, or I've got other things to worry about, where I feel no need to cast my vote in a country's future. But the book of Proverbs says in chapter 24, if you are faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are being led away to death. Hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart 
Consider this. He that keeps your soul, does he not know it? Will he not render to each according to his deeds? Meaning that it is in the difficult day that you must be strong. When evil has gained control, that is when you must stand. You must be a hero when heroes must be. And you can't use the excuse of ignorance. God knows that you know because God watches and cares for you. And you will be accountable for your silence. And this is where we are in 2016. We have two candidates. Both are flawed. Seriously. <laughs> Both are children of the 60s. My people. One five years older than me, one just three years older than me. Both true nature's child. They are born, born to be wild. <laughs> one an activist, one a capitalist. Is it a meaningless election? Will we lose either way this election that has been affectionately called the clump? <laughs> the clump. No, this election will be enormous in our history as the Republican and Democratic platforms are headed in polar opposite directions. I was asked what we wanted to entitle this message. We will call it Continental Divide, and it is. They are in opposite directions, not just politically, but theologically and morally. They are in opposite directions. Half of our country will be elated on November the 8th. Half will be outraged. Because an enormous disparity of worldviews has finally surfaced in our country. A disparity of worldviews that has been brewing beneath the surface for 100 years. Ever since our move from modernism to postmodernism in the 50s and 60s. Modernism is the seeking of truth not through the Bible, but through man's reason. Modernism believes there is truth, but it is up to man to find it from his own means and mechanisms. Modernism failed because of the prevailing question of, says who? Who are you to say? There was no final, eternal, infinite, immutable from the outside of man, divine authority. Postmodernism followed. Postmodernism is not seeking for truth, but inventing your own truth. Postmodernism recognizes that hypothetically, within that framework, there is no truth, but man will invent his own truth, his personal truth, where you play God. It is called moral relativity. It is called moral subjectivity, and it is also called philosophically existentialism, where it is the ism of existence that you determine. It is the abandonment of final truth, and it has dominated the latter half of the 20th century. Some have resisted and stayed theistic, knowing that postmodernism will not work, like us. Conservatives holding to a Bible, a standard outside of man, 
to biblical right and wrong, to the moral and immoral. But postmodernism has affected everything, sexuality, the arts, the family, gender, education, the military, sports, entertainment, and political parties have polarized into these two worldviews, theistic and postmodern, Republican and Democrat, absolute and relativistic, traditional and modern, biblically informed and humanly reasoned. God-centered laws are man-centered freedom, pro-life or pro-choice, in a broad sense, Christian and non-Christian. Is there final truth? Is there revealed truth? Is there biblical divine truth? Or does man get to make the rules? Is truth just a semantic, mystical word with no ultimate foundation? This is the elephant in the room, and I don't mean Republican elephant. The elephant that all are aware of, but nobody speaks of. Is abortion wrong? Same-sex wrong? Is anything wrong? If so, why? And how do you know? The elephant in the room is God. Can we say no in matters of marriage, sexuality, gender, abortion, or the loss of religious freedom? Is it possible to say no, that is wrong? Can they enforce compliance to their rejection of moral absolutes? As France did in 1789, as communism did in 1917, as Nazism did in the 1930s. Is homosexuality a civil right that one cannot resist for fear of retribution? Can a politician or a court set aside a biblical mandate? Can they determine a human in the womb is not a human? Can they take your gun? Can they redefine marriage, redefine gender, and can they play God in a culture? Make no mistake, this did not start with the Democrats. The furnace consuming us in our day, we as a country have stoked for 100 years. We are being beaten with our own stick. We are reaping our own bitter sowing. This didn't just happen. It was cultivated by our own cultural leaders and by the silence of those in a culture that are its centuries, the church that has gone on the big part liberal, and the voice has been stilled. This election will slow the postmodern trajectory if there is a Republican victory or it will accelerate the postmodern trajectory if there is a democratic victory, a direction that this present administration has promoted zealously and unashamedly for eight years. They have bathed our White House in the rainbow light of homosexuality, a direction that has no foreseeable rational and moral stops. 
because whoever is elected will have a number of Supreme Court appointments that will wait Supreme Court decisions one way or the other and affect this country for 30 years. This is the most powerful aspect of the president. He is the commander of chief of the military and he is the appointer of the Supreme Court. Everything else in the presidency is steering a barge. These are jet skis. This election will put worldviews in stone. Scalia is gone. Three more are going. The next president is in control, as few presidents have ever been in control. Three Supreme Court decisions of late went five to four in the favor of conservatives. The Hobby Lobby right to religious freedom in business was five to four that you and I have the right in our business to represent Christ. That carried by one man's vote. You were one vote from the loss of your religious freedom in your personal business. You were one vote. The right of the individual to own firearms, that is called the Heller case. We won by one vote. You were one vote away from enforcing that law, and they would have pried your cold, dead fingers off of your weapon. You can't make a law unless you enforce it, and they will take it. You missed it by one vote. Or our historic uh, the freedom to have government property have the right to exhibit a cross was won by five to four. Our historic freedoms were one vote from extinction. That balance will tip this election one way or the other. Because when you vote as an American, you vote not just for a candidate, but you vote for a party platform, what it believes. And it is no longer merely a political perspective on economics, defense, or foreign policy. It is a theological platform. What is right, what is wrong, and why? Abortion, homosexual marriage treated as traditional marriage, gender neutral. These are terms that have never in the history of America been considered right until recent. Why? Because something changed. We changed. We changed the spectacles and the glasses by which we perceive reality. We believe differently. Our lenses were altered. Our worldview shifted from God to man, from theistic to modern to postmodern, from absolute to relativistic and subjective. Our previous assumptions of 200 years have vanished. Will that be good and liberating? The Democrats say yes. The Republicans say no. Will that be wrong and corrupting to our country? The Republicans say, yes, it will. The Democrats say, no, it will not. So you vote for what you believe will be a party's consequences, what will be a party's direction, and what will be a party's trajectory. You don't just vote for a candidate. How will that affect my kids? How will it affect my grandkids? How will it affect the future as of our people, the future of Christianity. Our future hangs in the balance 
as it never has. Because there are three points of conscience that this election deals with. And by that I mean points that are not essentially political. Not the economy, not foreign policy, the national defense, or even health care. They are points of the national violation of the Bible's teaching. They are abortion, the sanctioning of sodomy, or gay marriage, and the religious liberty to resist that without reprisal or prosecution. These are the legitimate fears of the Christian concerning the democratic platform. Things not perceived as bad politics, but historically as evil. Things that the Christian believes, that I believe, will corrupt us and will incur the wrath of God. Bad politics are irritants. These things are self-destructive. First, the Democratic platform wants abortion on demand, over the counter. And they want the Hyde Amendment of government-funded abortions. The Republican platform wants the repeal of Roe versus Wade, or at least the continuance of stipulations and restraints that Christians have fought for since 1973. Parental consent, sonograms, time limits, waiting periods, and the like. Also, the Democratic platform wants gay rights treated as a civil right, meaning the illegality of opposing and refusing to participate in anything of same sex. Just as one does not have a right to oppose a service because of race, so now one cannot oppose and refuse a service because of homosexuality. In other words, the removal of the Christian freedom to obey his Bible. Ben Carson recognized the fallacy of this apples to apples equating whenever he said to the gay community, do not regard your sin as my skin. If I were black, I, like Carson, would be enraged at that equating. The Republican platform wants homosexuality to remain as it has been for our history, a freedom and a personal right, but not a law of civil compliance, and the freedom to say, I will have no part in such actions. I will not provide flowers for your gay wedding. I will not provide a cake for your gay wedding. I will not provide t-shirts or pizza for your same-sex rally. Or you can't make me facilitate what my faith condemns, and you can't punish me for the exercise of my freedom. All of these will make or break upon Supreme Court rulings. As Roe versus Wade in 73 concerning abortion, it became law. As Engel versus Vitale in 62, prayer in schools. And as of last July concerning same-sex marriage regarded as civil law. Supreme Court law forms trajectory. As 60 million dead since 1973 would agree if they could speak. Or generations of public school kids who have never heard a prayer in school. Or as Christians who have now lost businesses 
over the loss of religious freedom. That is happening as we speak. Or the state of North Carolina understands and saying no to the Supreme Court on gender-neutral restrooms and are now being punished in the canceling of tournaments by the NCAA. That's why they're called Tar Heels. They stand. Or Christian teachers who are now quitting their careers rather than submitting to a requirement from public schools in conformity with the Supreme Court to not refer to boys and girls as he and she, but by a gender-neutral term. The Supreme Court has created a world gone mad. Why do you think Christian and private schooling and homeschooling have exploded in the last 40 years? To escape the inferiority, the punishments, the enforcement, and the encroachments of secularism or of the democratic platform. I will make you a prediction, not a prophecy, lest I be stoned. I will make you two predictions. If the democratic platform wins in November, if the madness grows and the irrationality spreads, private Christian charter schools and homeschooling are going to explode exponentially to protect your child from the schools. And I'll make you another prediction. The government will inhibit those things. Trust me. And mind you, the democratic agenda is not a conspiratorial thing, and it is not beneath the scenes. It is not covert. The Democrats are proud and open concerning their progressiveness, their tolerance, their open-mindedness. They are proud of their intolerance of you and of Christian morality. When Michelle Obama speaks, as she did at the Democratic National Convention four years ago, of a woman's freedom to do what they will with their bodies and the freedom to, and I quote, love whom you will love and marry whom you will marry. The response was and is an ovation. They glory in their shame. As Jeremiah said, they have lost the ability to blush. One of our female staff read the Democratic platform and handed it to me and said, this is sin in writing. And that is the Christian perception of the Democratic platform. The Republican candidate is flawed, partly because he's never been a politician, so has seen no need to cover his tracks. <laughs> Who's joking? He is a 60s pagan. He's had bad marriages. He has a bad demeanor, like a hard, pragmatic businessman. And that's why he is unpopular. I'm sorry. That is why he's popular. My bad. <laughs> well, well. The reason he is popular is because he is not and has not been a politician. And he contends to hold politics in contempt. He's one of us, and we are tired of politicians, and we are tired of political correctness, and we are tired of people playing to the media 
and we are tired of weakness and mincing words in leaders. He has rough edges. Each week brings new surprises. <laughs> because he just does not care. It's the privilege of having a billion dollars. <laughs> Things that make you good in business can make you bad in politics. Ten years ago, he was immoral and employed filthy, unguarded, and suggestive language. And that is bad. But then bad language did not kill 60 million babies. It did not enforce sodomy. Bad language will not take your firearm. It will not take your Second Amendment. And it will not take your religious freedom. If elected, I'm sorry, he is as popular for his directness and assertiveness as the Democratic hopeful is for her liberality. If elected, he has submitted 11 possibles for Supreme Court nominations that have been called by fundamentalist theologian Wayne Grudem as, quote, a conservative dream team. He has chosen as a running mate Michael Pence, the poster boy for conservative values. He has plans for Islamic immigration and illegal immigration so decisive that they have drawn criticism. Some of his generalizations and references have been offensive to the Hispanic community. The man does not weigh his words. He will learn, but he does not weigh his words. He plans to create jobs by freeing up businesses to expand by lessening taxation. Our government punishes successful businessmen to the tune of 40%. We have the highest taxation of business in the world. Government has no command by God to create jobs. I know that much. Business creates jobs. The job of government is to protect business so that it can do what business does, and that is to venture and to succeed. Something that they won't do when they are continually punished for succeeding. Like communism, our government stifles ambition. He also plans to get the government out of the church's business to restore religious freedom, to protect the Second Amendment, to halt the democratic trajectory on abortion and same-sex marriage, which demands Supreme Court decisions. All is just verbal wordplay without the Supreme Court. Michael Pence said, let me assure you the Trump-Pence administration will stand for the sanctity of life and defend the unborn from the first day we take office. Pence said, we will end late-term abortions nationwide. As my running mate said not long ago, we should not be one of the few countries that allows elective abortion after 20 weeks, which to me is the abomination above all abominations. The days of public funding for Planned Parenthood, said Pence, are over when the Trump-Pence administration arrives in D.C. The issues of abortion and same-sex are not political. They are spiritual. They are moral. They are revealed in Scripture. There is no voting on them. There is no legislating on them. When violated, they summon the wrath of God. 
and I believe they have done so already in our society full of perversion, racial unrest, violence within, as well as ISIS and terrorism without. We have been, quote unquote, by Paul, given over to a failed mind to do those things which are not proper. Because without a theological base, I'm sorry, we are now a reflection of the book of Judges, the dark ages of Israel, where every man did what was right in his own eyes. That is called existentialism. Thus, without a theological base, it is elementary. We have no moral base. Thus, people are either helpless or they are out of control. Thus, government must now no longer govern us. They must parent us. To a Christian, all other political issues must be subservient to these, meaning no matter how we may disagree on immigration, welfare, the military, foreign policy, taxes, the economy, the Christian must not fail to resist infanticide, sodomy, the destruction of traditional marriage, the loss of constitutional freedoms, and the loss of Christian freedom. If Trump is successful for eight years, his vice president would be the logical follow-up. That could possibly be 16 years of halting the direction of an administration that has made the most radical rulings since Roe versus Wade and since the fugitive slave law before the Civil War that forbid the resisting of slavery and fostered the Civil War. How can this happen? It is easy. The sleeping giant must awake. 25 million evangelicals did not vote in the last election. We lost by 4 million. We are the largest demographic block in the United States. If Christians, the centuries, and the conscience of our country, if they step up, if they vote and vote wisely, not for utopia, but for that candidate that will support through Supreme Court appointments, the historic and yes, the Christian and American values that have been ours, the rights and wrongs we were founded on, we will win and we will regain a sense of control. We can slow the madness for 30 years. We can't stop it because the madness is not political. It is from man's rebellion to the Almighty God. It is a madness of the soul that can only be cured by striking a human dead in Christ and raising him up anew in the last Adam. But a problem arises. It goes like this. Both are flawed, so I won't vote. Or I'm voting for a write-in candidate with no chance of winning as an act of conscience, an expression of Christian indignation, a political sit-down strike. You say, I can't support Trump. Can you endure Hillary? Can you endure the Democratic platform? And can you endure an imbalance in the Supreme Court for 30 years? The loss of your constitutional freedom, can you endure that? Because when all three branches, executive, judicial, and legislative, when they swing one way, 
It is now Vegas. Click, click, click. It is done. It is a trifecta. It is a total takeover. There is no check and there is no balance. Not in just politics, but in this time in the outlawing of traditional freedoms, constitutional freedoms, one that will curse your children and will curse your grandchildren, that will curse this country long after you are gone, does that bother your conscience? You don't fight the enemy by firing into the air. Francis Schaeffer said 30 years ago, if we as Christians do not speak out as, authorit as authoritarian governments grow, eventually we or our children will be the enemy of society and the enemy of the state. No truly authoritarian government can tolerate those who have real absolutes by which to judge its arbitrary absolutes. George Orwell saw this back before 1984. In presidential elections, you vote for the better of the two. You vote for a platform for possibilities. In 2012, I voted for Mitt Romney, a Mormon. Now you know what I think of Mormons. I voted for him because he was better than the alternative. At least he was in my camp on the dignity of man. We have idolized John and Bobby Kennedy, both of whom held marriage in contempt and passed the same woman among them. All leaders are flawed to some extent. It must be said that probably few of us had Donald Trump as our first choice. He wasn't mine. I was Cruz, Rubio, Carson, because they were open Christians. They were moral for the right reasons. Most of us said, what would you do if it came down to Trump? Well, it did. <laughs> All right. Because the Republican Party chose Donald Trump. Donald Trump did not commandeer the election. The Republican Party chose him over the aforementioned and delegated to him the responsibility to protect a platform. We all recognize he is somewhat unlikable. We also recognize that it's somewhat scary to have a fellow as hard-nosed as he in discussions with foreign leaders who are always on the edge. We recognize he is untested in politics and we could all have egg on our faces in coming years. I assure you, I will be praying earnestly every day for Michael Pence to guide him <laughs> in the civility of politics. But those things might be, as in all elections, there is a sense of it might be. But the Democratic platform is not a might be. It is a gonna be. It is a will be. Donald Trump is scary because of the fear of the unknown. Hillary Clinton is scary because of the fear of the known. Maybe I was raised different than some of the current evangelical leaders in our country this day. I was taught not to lie down when it's in the heat. 
I will vote personally to oppose the loss of our freedom, and I will vote to oppose the loss of life, and I will vote to oppose the loss of the traditional family if the Democratic platform is enacted. Thank you. And I will vote that way whoever runs. If Trump and Pence are killed next week and someone else has to step up, I will check his platform and I will vote for him if he will oppose these amoral things. If the Democratic platform is enacted, which their candidate supports with zealous passion, the country we had will be no more. Secularism will have eaten into the viscera of our nation. Political analyst Eric Metaxas in the Wall Street Journal wrote, if Hillary Clinton is elected, the country's chance to have a Supreme Court that values the Constitution and the genuine liberty and self-government for which millions have died, it is gone. Not for four years is it gone. Not for eight years. It is gone forever. Many say Mr. Trump can't be trusted to deliver on this score, but Mrs. Clinton can be trusted in the opposite direction. For our kids and our grandkids, are we not obliged, said Metaxas, to take our best shot at this? Shall we sit on our hands and refuse to choose? Christians. Christian, your freedoms are seen by this party as bigotry. Your beliefs are seen as bigotry. Your morals are seen as bigotry. You as a fundamentalist are seen as a hitch, as a glitch in the evolutionary progress of which we would be better off if you were gone. That is how that we are seen. The Democratic Party wants to remove them and you by the courts to accelerate the erosion that has been creeping onward in our postmodern culture for 50 years, since the beatniks it has been pressing on. The river has eaten away at the bank after half a century, and it is about to collapse. They will not stand your stance, and they will not stand your standing. One of you will go. Them or you will go. If Hillary wins, this election can be called the Empire Strikes Back. As 60s radicalism underground since the 70s will live again. I have fought for children all of my life, says Hillary. You saw the commercial. And I will fight for them until the end. Ovation, ovation, ovation. How about, Hillary, let's don't kill them in the womb. How's about let's don't invade their safety in a bathroom? How's about let's don't confuse their sense of gender? And how's about let's allow children not to decide on what they are at the age of eight? How about let's don't forbid the Ten Commandments, moral law, or the name of Jesus to be spoken in public? How about let's ensure a normal set of parents or not assault their souls with perversion on the internet 
before they are 12. Then tell me that you fight for our children. If democratic ideology wins, the echoes of Philadelphia will fade to silence, to the delight of these people who say to us, speak to me no more of the Holy One of Jacob. My fear is twofold. First, that we are outnumbered. They may now be too many. Democrats are easily and naturally produced. Any who wish to cast off the restraints of the divine law can be Democrats. And the arts, entertainment, the media, colleges, and the culture surrounds them and nurtures them from the womb. I fear we may be as the English at Dunkirk, about to be pushed into the sea by sheer numbers. I also fear we may not only be, they may not only be too many, but we may be too late. The blood of a generation of the murdered cries out. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah has reached the ears of heaven, and perhaps God has come down to see. Winter may have descended upon Narnia. The last 100 years may have come due. As Habakkuk said, I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. That may be our prayer in three weeks. Thomas Jefferson said, indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. God may desire and will Hillary Clinton in the presidency as the rod of his chastisement. Even as Jezebel was in the days of Ahab, she may be in our day. She is the embodiment of the terminus of the thinking of the last 70 years. The Democratic Party platform is the result of what you get when you slam shut your Bible. On higher issues, the soul, the nature of man, right, wrong, God, eternity, sin, and redemption, you now have no truth. You have nothing but science. You merely know what you can see, what is behind your senses you cannot know. And thus now to have meaning, you must have the arbitrary choice of sinful men as to what is right and wrong. Rationalism will take you to the irrational and to the destructive. And that is where we are. And she is the embodiment and the incarnation of the 20th century. Basically, Christians in this country have found themselves at the Red Sea with no rational way of escape. All we can do is all we can do. And then as a people cry out for God's might from the outside, outside of our logic and outside of our limitations, God must intervene sovereignly in great might and open a way where there is no way. Christian, the barbarians are at your gate. It is an ancient conflict beginning in the Garden of Eden. I will put enmity, O devil, between your children and the seed of the woman. So vote. Vote your conscience. Vote your brain. 
There is one person that I think of and I am pressured by when I vote. It's a little fellow I can't see. I don't even know his name. A little fellow who just wants a chance, a chance to breathe on his own, who doesn't ask for much. He just asks for tomorrow. And who would appreciate the adults around him not to invade his sanctuary and to obliterate his right to life. It was not his doing that put him here. It was the adults. I think of him and of standing between him and those who seek his life because he's inconvenient. To do that, I am left with one choice, and that is the choice of whoever opposes that little guy. And I think of those little guys he's going to grow up into. Guys like this. Does he look familiar? Does he look the handsomeness of myself? <laughs> this is one of my six. That's Jake. That's Barrett. That's TC and Gabby. That's Turner. That's Ryan and TC together heading to school. That's all four. The little blonde is going to prison. <laughs> yeah. These guys are my grandkids. I would like to have them have the freedoms and the protection that I had. I would like them to have a semblance of the country that I knew as a boy. This election is a symptom of our nation's ills, meaning that water does not rise higher than its source. Effects are not greater than their causes. And you do not gather grapes from thorn bushes. You will not find peace and the right from a theological and moral vacuum that began with the nation's renunciation of God. We will get what we deserve. And so we desire today, as our fountain has now officially run dry of tradition, we desire today what we have always desired for law and order, peace and tranquility, but today, we desire it for no good reason. Those things are effects that demand the infinite personal God who is Trinity of Christianity. When he is gone, then they are gone. You say to me, is there a hymn? Oh, there's a hymn. This is a hymn that goes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. You know what that means? Your frame is the countenance of who you are. The sweetest frame means the best person out there. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Let's stand together. 
make no mistake about it, no matter what happens, He's our hope. But our faith intersects every area of our life. And when I go vote in a week, this is who I'm going to have in mind. My little daughter, Camille Elizabeth, who was born two weeks ago from yesterday, and the 60 million babies who have been aborted since 1973 who would agree with me if they could speak. And here's the deal. I, I know not everybody agrees, and that's okay. Tonight's goal was to inform you on things that you're never going to hear out there. But as your pastor, it's my responsibility to inform your mind and your heart. And so there's going to be a team of people, and I just asked that they would come up right now, including myself, in just a minute. Let me let you go here in a minute that would love to talk with you, that would love to dialogue with you no matter where you stand, in Christ or not in Christ, Democrat, Republican, no vote, vote, whatever it might be. The most important thing is that you know who Christ has created you to be. The most important thing is is that you know the gospel because that is the only hope so if there's anything that we can do, if there's anything that we can pray for, if you want to find out more information about why we do what we do, this thing called Paradigm, there's the Next Steps desk. It's a one-stop shop to meet you wherever you're at. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for tonight. I know it was heavy in many ways, but I pray, God, that we would leave here with a biblical perspective. And not just an emotional perspective or a cultural perspective or based on our experiences or our upbringing or whatever it might be, God. And I know, God, that there are some hard, hard issues that we tackled tonight. And I want that person to know wherever they've been in the past, whether it's an abortion, whether it's struggling with homosexuality, or narcissism, making life all about them. Or maybe it's a sin of gossiping. No sin is greater. We are all broken and in need of you. And the greatest thing that we could walk away with is forgiveness from you and redemption, salvation. So God, there is grace because of what you did for us on the cross 2,016 years ago and through the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray that people would feel that tonight, that they would receive that tonight, that there is no condemnation. And so, Father, as we leave this place, may we leave rejoicing in the fact that we have hope in you no matter what happens in the days, years to come. For your glory, our joy, and the world's good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.